Isaac Shade here, co-host of the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Join Andy Patton and me every Monday as we break down all the buzzer-beating action, conference rivalry games, and need-to-know bubble matchups ahead of the NCAA tournament. Check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast every Monday, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Oregon's got their entire staff back on the football side for 2024. Is it the last time they'll all be together? Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. So if you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers join today. You'll get $150 in bonus bets. If your first bet of $5 or more wins, visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started. I am not alone today. I've got Eric Scopel, 24-7 Sports, Ots and Audibles, Duck Territory, all that stuff. Most of you probably know him. And I want to dive right into this, Eric, because one of the reasons I think Oregon has kind of an all-in feel for 2024 is twofold. Number one. That's college football now. When when you are a program like Oregon, you can go in the portal, you can load up with that sort of talent, and you make the most out of every season. But the second thing is they've got coaching staff continuity. For the first time since the 2011-2012 seasons, they've got the same head coach, offensive, and defensive coordinators all back from the prior year. Do you think that that lasts into 2025? Obviously, Lanning has made it clear he's not going anywhere, but what about everybody else? I would be really surprised if Tosh Lupoy goes anywhere else, to be honest with you. I don't think he has, from what I understand, hedge coaching aspirations necessarily. That's not to say like he'll never be a head coach, but he's been around a long time and hasn't really pursued those options. And I don't know what sort of defensive coordinator, like equidistant job titles will come up that would really be something he'd want to take, considering what he's building here and considering that, like, look, it's a weird reality of college football where I think Oregon's situation is as good as about any in the country right now in terms of being set up to try to compete for conference and national championships. So I don't know what motivations he would have to take another defensive coordinating job. Like USC came up in this last year. I don't think he even would have taken a phone call. I I don't even think there was any buzz. I didn't hear or see anything about him being a candidate there. So, yeah, so I, I, I wouldn't expect him to be going anywhere, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's here for a long time. And I, I think he and Dan intend to be working together for, I don't want to say the duration, but for an extended period of time. Like Just like Nick Galliotti was Oregon's defensive coordinator for multiple decades, I don't know if that'll be the case for Tosh, but I do think he's like a, a six- to eight-year minimum guy here, assuming things continue to go the way they are right now, which is – obviously awfully good. And maybe he takes a look at the NFL at some point and maybe I'm overlooking that possibility, but I, I would be surprised if he's coaching anywhere other than Oregon in the, in the, you know, the kind of short to midterm future. I think Will Stein's the one where just objectively, you don't really have great answers. This guy is really, really young. He's really doesn't have a whole lot of ties to this part of the country or to Dan Lanning. Like this was a hire that was made because of the resume, not necessarily the connections, right? You know, like you look at Dan and the way he's kind of approached this, there's kind of a variance of guys he's worked at, 
guys who've been really good who he hasn't worked with. Um, this is a guy he hadn't worked with. He didn't have any background here. So I don't know necessarily how tight at the hip they are. And there's also the fact that the track record, you know, with, with, with offensive coordinators at Oregon under Dan Landing, I know it's a small sample size, is pretty good in terms of finding opportunities to improve yourself from the coaching ranks. You know, I don't even have to, have to explain that point. Kenny Dillingham is self-explanatory. So I, I think he would be the one I could see looking around. And I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Oregon does what we all think they are capable of this year and is playing for something big in January if the offensive coordinator of a team that is – if that's what they are doing, more than likely the offense is really good again. That's going to be an attractive name. And I would imagine one that gets some traction for head coaching jobs. I know um, like other coordinating positions became available until this last year. I know for a fact like Texas A&M was a school that like poked around a little bit just because of his ties in Texas. I don't think he's taking another – similar to Tosh, I don't think he's taking another coordinating job. But I have a little bit – it's hard. I, my feel's not quite as good with him in terms of what he wants to accomplish long term. And given his age and his acumen, I wouldn't be surprised if he's a head coach somewhere in the next two to three years. But um, I don't think anything is necessarily imminent. And we also have to acknowledge like he's only been a Division One play caller for two or three years, and he's only been one at the highest level for one. So he does have something to prove with his resume. But again, I wouldn't be stunned like if Oregon really makes a run in twenty four. If if by twenty five we're we're talking about maybe he's looking somewhere else. Yeah, I agree with you on Stein. I think that the the potential is there, right? Young coaches are very much the trend in the modern recruiting era. You're seeing a lot of older coaches say, this is not for me anymore, whether that's, you know, Chip Kelly or Nick Saban or Jim Harbaugh or even somewhat younger guys like Jeff Halfley at Boston College. They don't want to be in the modern world of NIL and the portal quite as much. But guess what? Oregon's thriving there. Dan Lanning is, what, 37 years old? And, and Will Stein is, I think, a couple of years younger than him, like 30. He's younger than I am, which is really, which hurts <laughs> a little bit. He's a year younger. I think he's 33, maybe just turned 34. Yeah, so he's a young guy, but Dillingham is the youngest power four head football coach in the entire country. And I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility Stein's name could pop up in the 2025 circle. I think it would depend on what jobs come available. Like these guys are definitely all set. And I agree with everything you said about Tosh Lupoy. He, he's never been tied to head coaching vacancies. His name doesn't pop up. I don't think that's something that you know, he, he really has from an aspirational standpoint. Stein, on the other hand, went to Oregon, I think, because he saw it as a way to elevate his platform as a coordinator and, and as a football coach. And I think that he is doing that. And he had a great first year. Bonix just set the NCAA completion percentage record. And then if he comes back with Dylan Gabriel and has another 70 plus percentage completion season and, yeah. you know, is knocking on the door of being a Heisman finalist again, which I think is tough, but not impossible for, for Gabriel to achieve. It's hard to not look at Will Stein if you're another school. It does depend on the school because I don't think Stein would leave for any job. He's a Louisville grad. They're not going to be moving off their head coach anytime soon. Would he look towards that part of the country? I don't know. I would wonder about Big 12 vacancies just because he has have ties to Texas, that part of the country, and because I think what we're seeing right now is and it hasn't totally developed this way is the big 12 is kind of going to become a bit of a minor league for the big 10 and the sec in terms of a ground to, to go find young talent. And I wouldn't, I think it would be very attractive if you're Will Stein, you go, Hey, I'll be the offensive coordinator at Oregon for two or three years. I'll be a head coach at, uh, I don't know, Kansas state. If their coach ends up taking another vacancy for two years. And if I do well there, 
maybe then an opportunity pops up at one of the bigger conferences. Cause I, I do think there's going to be enough separation and maybe I'm being naive in terms of the timeline. Maybe this is further down the road, but I do think we're going to get to a spot here where it's like, if you have a, if you're a big 12 head coach and you have an opportunity to coach in the big 10 of the sec, I, I don't think that's going to be a very difficult decision. So I think it makes sense from a, from a path for someone like Will Stein, if you were to go take a bit of a step down as strange as that sounds, considering the history of that conference, to go there for a little bit and then try to rise up the ranks as best he can. But we'll see. I don't know. Maybe Louisville is the dream job, as you said, given his ties to that part of the country. Yeah, it could be. But, you know, Jeff Brom just had a 10-win season in his first year. They've brought in a lot of talent this offseason. They've got former Oregon quarterback Tyler Shuck mm-hmm. uh, as their starter over there, and they've got a somewhat manageable schedule as well. I, I think they're going to be just fine. I think Brom is a pretty solid coach. So I don't think that job comes open, but I agree with you on the Big 12 front. I wonder if, like, a Cincinnati job were, were were to come open because they, you know, took a step back as they went into the big 12. If he wouldn't, you know, he was at Louisville close to Ohio, kind of just yeah. getting your, your feet wet in that sort of geographical area. I, I could definitely see it, but what does this mean for 2024? We are most definitely talking about that. After we talk about FanDuel, of course, you can get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, much like I imagine Eric does when he steps onto the basketball court. America's number one sportsbook is FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. You can bet Oregon's win total over there, which is at 10.5, tied for the highest of any school in the country. Eric, early thoughts, 10.5 over under? Oh, boy. That's it's tough, a, isn't it? It's a great line. It's a really yep. good line. It's and, spot on. And the game comes down to – sorry, the season kind of comes down to two games in the regular season, and you just go, can they split those? In my opinion. Yeah. Maybe, I, I don't want to be too much overlooking because I think maybe going to Wisconsin is more difficult than I think. Not going to be easy. Never is. Maybe – I don't I don't not really worried about any of the home games other than Ohio State, to be totally frank. Um, and then, of course, at the – I don't know. Like, we'll see what Michigan is. I, th- those That roster is going to turn over so much that mm-hmm. that's what makes it difficult is you look up and you go, Oregon will face three of the top seven teams from this last season, and two of them are kind of like completely rebuilding. And it happens to be the two teams that were playing for a national championship last month. But it's um, tough. I'll lean over at 11. I over. think it's really hard to see them. And again, I, that's not my like official. I haven't gone through the exercise of actually breaking down the schedule and predicting everything, but. Um, Oregon's roster is going to be better than everybody they play this year besides Ohio State. I feel really confident in that. And so then it's just a matter of managing the schedule, managing the, the travel. It's how does Dan Lanning kind of evolve in some of these kind of game management aspects and these big moments, right? We've, had, we've seen some kind of hiccups in those. So there are certainly reasons to think like they could drop more than one game, but – I'm on a duck podcast. Why don't we say 11? I feel optimistic. <laughs> got to give, gotta give the fans what they want sometimes, right? And you can get anything you want over at FanDuel. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to shoot your shot if you like the Ducks over or under 10 and a half. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. 
So these potential coaching moves in 2025, we agree that, you know, the Georgia State job just came open randomly as their head coach went to be a tight ends coach at South Carolina, which is which is crazy. But like that's not Will Will Stein's not going to be a target or, or anything like that. So the staff is in place for 24. Will they be around for 25? I, I just think the fact that they're going to all be there and that Chris Hampton is back. There have been reports that he turned down power five full-time D coordinator positions, meaning he could be somebody who, who starts to rise up the ranks. He was a star at Tulane. I think he was great for Oregon last year and the numbers back that up. I think it creates this just exacerbated sense of an all-in field for the Ducks in 2024. And I had really high hopes for 2023, and they came very close, but I've almost got that sense even more so this year. Losing Bo Nix definitely hurts. I think Gabriel's solid, but he's not Bo Nix. But having the staff continuity, you can't overlook how important that is. I mean, 24 really hinges on how good Dylan Gabriel is, in my mind. Like, if I'm, if we're really having a conversation saying they could win 11 games, he has to be as advertised and, and maybe even better. Like, he's, I've, I've seen him on top, you know, the top five in Heisman boards. I've seen him, I think ESPN had him as a second team preseason All American a couple of weeks ago. Um, if he lives up to that billing and that's the type of player he is, then absolutely Oregon's able to make runs at that. And to your point on the coaching part, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the future holds. Like, I know Junior Adams wants to be a head coach, and I would think has a chance based upon his recruiting track record with how, I mean, the last season here at Oregon, his sell job would be pretty easy of, like, my position group produced the two best individual seasons the school had ever seen, like, in one season. Like, that that doesn't happen very often, obviously, and it kind of indicates what kind of a position coach he is. Is he ready to be a head coach? I don't know. Would he be a candidate for like an FCS job? Maybe that would be more of what it is, or maybe he would go try to find to be an offensive coordinator somewhere else. But I'm just going through names that would make sense to, to leave. Obviously, they just promoted Michaelowski. He's not going anywhere. I know Joe Lorig isn't going anywhere. He's basically going to be tied at the hip with Dan, I think, for as long as Dan intends to keep him. Elite Terry, I don't think, will go anywhere. So, yeah, you kind of run through the list, Tony Toyote. There, there aren't a lot of candidates that make sense to leave, but, you know, coaches that want to elevate themselves, find themselves at Oregon and they maybe don't stay here as long as you hope. And I think the other thing you find encouraging, regardless of what happens in 24 is Dan's track record with, with not only, you know, recruiting prep and transfer talent, but also coaches. I, I even if they do lose two or three of these heavy hitters on staff, I, I would just be stunned if they don't replace them with, with coaches that are, maybe not equal levels of talent, but coaches that there's not that big of a drop-off. So I, I think there will be continued success regardless of if there are some changes. I don't want to make the comparison to Nick Saban at Alabama, but it's a lazy one, so I'll just do it, which is Nick Saban continued to bring in really, really good coaches because he had a reputation, and that really kind of extended his window of, of national championship success to, to multiple decades. So I, I wouldn't be surprised for, for Oregon if, yeah, maybe there is some turnover. Maybe we do see Chris Hampton take a coordinating job. Maybe Junior Adams does find a head coaching job, or maybe he gets an offensive coordinator position. Maybe Will Stein leaves. Maybe they lose one of these position coaches that I don't think would go somewhere. Maybe Drew Maringer gets a job somewhere. I don't know. I, I, I would imagine they would respond in kind in terms of the type of coach they would go out and find. That's certainly what they've done so far, right? I mean, Adrian Clem, NFL, Elite Terry, that looks to be a really, really good move. Matt Pallage goes to Baylor. Chris Hampton kind of looked like that might have been an upgrade. At least the results on the field uh, appeared to be that way. So 
I, I think that Lanning, you know, being two for two on his OC hires is indicative of the caliber of head coach that he is because you can attract quality candidates when you are a good head coach and you've got, you know, as he, I think, put it at a press conference long ago, a Rolodex of guys to, you know, kind of reach out to or talk to or people that he's met that he likes whose scheme, you know, fits with what he wants to do on the football field. I just think about it from the standpoint of no one ever goes 100% on their hires, even the great coaches. Sure. I mean, Bill Belichick hired Bill O'Brien. Well, that that didn't really work. I didn't think Bill O'Brien was necessarily bad as the OC. It just it didn't work out super well. Or you look at even Nick Saban at Alabama. Was Tommy Reese a great hire? I mean, he was fine. He he was like he was good. I wouldn't say he was you know knockout home run. This guy needs to be a head coach as soon as possible here because you know, their offense was, was okay. It was good enough to make the CFP though. Which it was, is, well, which their, team, their, their team was good enough to make the CFP for, for sure. And Milrow right. got better, but I mean, that was the same team that was also granted it was raining. They put up like 17 points against South Florida. So I, I, I think that you, you can't ever go a hundred percent with your coordinator hires. Like you have way, I mean, go look, go to the NFL, Kyle Shanahan, great coach. His previous two defensive coordinators are head coaches. I think they're both really good. Robert Sala, D'Amico Ryans. He hired Steve Wilkes. They just fired him after a year because they didn't like the job that he did. Sure. So, so no one ever goes a hundred percent. And that's why I look at 2024 and say, you know, Lanning has hired great OCs to this point, but can you do that? You know, six times in a row? No, probably not. Most of the, the hires that Saban made worked. But are they all going to work out forever? Are they always going to be great? No. And I think we know that Will Stein is good, and, and it's, it's a sure thing right now. Yeah, I guess I would just be really surprised if they hired someone who holds the program back, if that makes sense. Like, cause, And that was kind of what I was getting at and pushing back on the Tommy Reese part. is like he. I'm not going to say he was a fantastic play caller, but the team still achieved at a pretty high level. Like, I, I kind of get a sense that that'll be – and, again, I could be naive and maybe they'll – Daniel just totally whiff on his next four hires and we'll have to, have to come back on and be like, yeah, I was wrong. I'm sorry. We're winning. They're winning seven games now. My bad. I didn't realize it was, I just don't, I just, I just think that there is, he has such an eye for talent and such an ability to connect with people. And I think that's what's that. And along with a lot of other attributes or what has made him such an attractive coach again, from a, not only from a player acquisition, but from a coaching acquisition. So, um, but you're, you're, you're absolutely right. He won't go hundred percent. No coach does. And, it's just, I guess, a matter of what does a misfire mean for the program and what are those impacts? And, you know, e- even a misfire, quote unquote, is going to be somebody who provides some benefit. So, like, even if it's a guy who maybe lacks, you know, like if you hired an offensive coordinator who's maybe a bad, maybe doesn't do a great job as a play caller, hopefully that guy's good at quarterback development at the very least. You know what I mean? Hopefully there's some sort of trade off. Or, or, I mean, because I just don't expect Dan to go out and hire a guy who's just like, he was a high school offensive coordinator. Now he's going to come to Oregon and he's just, he's running like, you know, some weird old schemes that don't work. Or you're, maybe, maybe you see a little bit of like pistol stuff, which is still pissing off the fan base to this day. Like, <laughs> that would be the only, I can't, like, I tell you, I'm in that camp, man. I can't with the pistol. I, there I are some, that, there's some a, looks that can work it, that can work with it, but man, it just, you're starting the running back eight yards behind the line of scrimmage. Well, I, I, so I guess maybe that would be the uh, the first signs of a, of an errant hire is if we see them line up in the pistol in the spring game, we're all, we're all, we'll all be like, oh, shoot, is this what we're, we're going down this again? Um, yeah, anyway, so, yeah, I, I, I do I do genuinely think that 
long, the longevity of, of, of landing at Oregon and, and his ability to, to attract coaching talent will, will, will pay off for Oregon. I don't expect that there will be massive ups and downs, I guess. Yeah, that, that's certainly what the, the early returns are and the early returns on talent acquisition. Very, very good. And we'll get Eric's thoughts on Oregon's offseason, the moves that they have made. After we talk about game time, of course, game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. Right now, all users get $100 off when you buy a big game ticket with code VEGAS100 with killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee. Game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. They're obsessed with finding ways to help you save money on tickets. You can find exclusive flash deals and sponsor deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Right now, all Game Time users get $100 off a big game ticket with code VEGAS100. Terms apply. Just download the Game Time app. Use code VEGAS100 for $100 off a big game ticket. Or if you're not going to the game, use code LOCKEDON for $20 off your first purchase download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed so oregon's offseason has been by all accounts very good high school recruiting best ever transfer portal recruiting also very good one of which in the high school ranks is actually 2026 recruit in gatlin bear who I think is going to be very good. So 2026 recruiting efforts well underway. They got five recruits in the 2025 class. Like things are looking very good. What's your assessment of Oregon's offseason moves? And Dylan Gabriel's the obvious big name at quarterback. He'll start for the Ducks. But who else have you identified as, wow, this really changes the calculus for Oregon next year as they go into the Big Ten? Yeah, in the short term, the list is different. I, I do want to spend a second on just the fact that Oregon's doing something very unique by bringing in both Gabriel and Dante Moore. And I, I was speaking uh, a couple weeks ago with Cooper Patagna from 24 seven sports, just about how frequent he thinks a school could pull something like this off where you recruit in the same cycle through the portal, a short-term and a long-term solution. And I don't know that I've seen it before. I don't think it's happened before. And I think it's going to be something that happens very infrequently. And it takes a very specific circumstance. Like, his point was this is less about Dylan Gabriel, who, of course, is looking around going, where can I go? But more about Dante Moore saying like, it's an unusual situation where Dante committed to Oregon, you know, backed off that, went to UCLA, had uh, not a very good season, pretty up and down, certainly some downs that were frustrating, end up losing his job by the end of the year, basically, and then enters the portal. Like, that's kind of a unique situation. So I wanted to touch on that because I, I do think Oregon's short and long-term quarterback situation is about as healthy as that can be in the portal era. And I think that's a really big win. Um, you know, I was just doing ranking the top newcomers for 2024. I think there's eight plug and play starters <laughs> through the portal and guys that were like all conference or really highly regarded on pro football focus or guys yeah. who at the very least had multiple years of starting experience. Like, that's that says a lot, right? Like Oregon's approach with filling holes on its starting lineup, like guys who depart, whether it be NFL, transfer portal, graduation, is basically right now, first, do we have anybody on the roster who's stepping up? And that's where you see like a, an Iapani Lalalu, I think at center, is probably going to be filling in for Jackson Powers Johnson. I was encouraged at least that's how he looked in the Fiesta Bowl. But then if you go around the roster and you go, uh, maybe there's nobody at deep safety we really like. Well, they're just going to go find like, like all, all Big 12 selection in Kobe Savage. Or 
ah, man, Troy Franklin just set all these school records. Well, let's go get literally like the best transfer portal receiver in Evan Stewart. So, you know, I, I think that's the part that stands out from a portal perspective and isn't exactly unique to this year because we kind of have seen them do it now under Dan each of the last – each of his first two years, I should say here, where, you know, you go out and get Bo Nix and you get Bucky Irving in one cycle. And, you know, you go find Tez Johnson the next year. I'm just talking now skill position players. But think about the impacts that each of those players had not only on their first year, but in the case of those guys, I think multiple years here, um, that is what is taking place every off season. And I think that's something that's, that's really encouraging where you go four or five years ago, if you were losing your star X receiver and Troy Franklin, you'd be going, gosh, I hope Jurion's ready. Like Jurion better be ready. Like if he's not ready or if Jeremiah McClellan is a true freshman, isn't ready. There's a pretty big hole there. Now, now they're, they're able to go out and literally just go pluck a guy who's like I've seen in first round of 2025 mock drafts, you know, and Evan Stewart and just go pluck him. He might be a one of the five or six first, you know, top receivers taken next year. And that's the guy that they replace him with rather than a redshirt freshman or a true freshman or a sophomore or something. So I think that's something that stands out in terms of just the short term impacts is they've really reloaded in short order. And I think that's just what your expectation should be going into any offseason like. I've seen people be like, oh, I don't know what they're going to look like in 2025. I'm not sure I'm all that concerned just because I know they have to replace both tackles. They have to figure out the quarterback situation, which I, I think they've, as I mentioned earlier. Receivers, kind of, receivers are going to be a big, receivers need, gonna be big, big need. Running back might be a big need depending upon what Jordan James does. Yep, they could might be. lose Jordan and Noah. So tight end, I mean, they could read that offense could be almost entirely new in 2025. Like if I'm just talking it out, they could return like two or three starters. And yet I feel pretty decent about what they could do through the portal of at least reloading it and, and creating something that over the course of a season could be strong, maybe take some growing pains just because if you're replacing nine starters anywhere, that's hard. But that that's the thing I think that stands out to me this offseason is just their their ability to reload these these, these spots where you look up and went, oh, what, what are they going to do at corner like with with Kyrie gone? And then they go grab probably the best corner Oregon faced all season in Jabbar Muhammad, who is again, a plug and play starter, a guy who probably be drafted in the first two or three rounds of the NFL draft next year. So um, it's a unique place we are in college football, but for Oregon, I think it's a very healthy place where not only are they hitting prep recruiting like that, but they're able to supplement the roster in the short term with the portal. Yeah. I, I think they're built for now and they're built for uh, the future. You've got talent on the roster for 2025 and you can always bring in portal talent, like you said. So you, you mentioned that you wrote a piece, which I, I've not read. Sorry for not supporting. But um, <laughs> that, that you had eight eight plug-and-play starters from the transfer portal class? Yeah. Okay, let me see if I can name and, and read your mind here. So Kobe Savage is one. Yeah. Brandon Johnson is one. Mm -hmm. Jabbar Muhammad is one. Mm -hmm. Jamari Caldwell is one. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's four. Dylan yep. Gabriel yep. is five. Evan Stewart is six. Now this is difficult. You had eight starter. What what are we what are we classifying as a starter here? Okay, so one of these guys is going to be an offensive starter. The other guy is a specialist. Oh, Matthew Bedford. Matthew Bedford, offensive lineman from Indiana. That's seven. And then the specialist who is just Atticus Sappington, the kicker from Oregon State. Yeah. So those are the eight guys I came up with. And then you still even have Cam Alexander, who I didn't really know what to do with, who could be a starter at corner or could be somebody who plays a ton. So there's nine guys right there. So, I mean, it's it's impressive. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I complete, completely agree with you there. I want to wrap up with a men's basketball topic because I had this take earlier this week, and I actually heard from, from some of you out there that 
that you agree with me, which is good because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going crazy with this. So I think Enfali Dante is a fantastic basketball player. I love watching him play for the Ducks. His energy, his presence, he brings a defensive prowess that other guys just can't. I think he plays with passion and nonstop energy. And Dana said recently, you know, I got no complaints with Enfali Dante because he was working harder than everybody else. My somewhat hot take is that Oregon is a worse offensive team with Enfali Dante on the floor, which is strange for a guy who can put up a double-double and shoot 70% from the field basically every time he goes out there. But I don't think it has to deal with the player. I think it has to deal with the coaching and the way the players respond when Dante's on the floor. I think the ball is sticky. I think there's less movement. And they force the ball into him for post-touches, which is not an efficient way to score. And it's why back-to-the-basket centers have been moved out They have been removed from the NBA because it is not an efficient way to score. And I don't think that the staff and the team is using Dante in the most effective way possible to maximize this team's potential. That is my hot take. What do you think? So it's a bit of a Ewing theory. Are we Ewing theory and folly? Are they better without him? Are you just saying they're better when he's not being utilized, when the offense isn't built around a true post score? Because I don't disagree with that premise at all. Yeah, I, I think the offense was better. I liked what I saw from this team offensively earlier in the season when we weren't trying to get the ball to Enfali Dante constantly and just letting it happen essentially. You know what it like more pick and rolls, backside lobs, let him work on the offensive glass. That's when he's most effective. But when he's the focal point of the offense, I think it slows everything down. I think there's less movement and I think shooters are not in a great rhythm cuz he's not a dynamic passer. So a couple things. First, you know, it's funny. Uh, I don't know if we haven't talked about it on air, but I suffered a concussion on like January 3rd. Haven't really been able to watch, but the weeks leading up to that, I was watching a lot and was really encouraged by what I saw offensively with like Shellstad, Cousinard, you know, kind of being the primary creators, which I know they continue to be, but the offense really running through those two with Rigsby spotting up in the corner with Kwame and Diawara being guys who were kind of, you know, effort Bam players. Tracy as well. Yeah. You know, Quendo, they got all these guys. I was really encouraged by what I was seeing. And again, haven't really been able to watch a lot because of how I whacked my head since. So I can't really speak to it, but I've been like, I left my pre-concussion era feeling like Oregon was maybe the best team in the conference. And I know they're still within striking distance to win the conference, possibly if they were to win out and Arizona were to drop some games and they play Arizona down in Tucson. But I've been surprised with this, the many, the number of hiccups they've had over the last month or so. I, I really thought that this team was going to hit its, its rhythm. Like you see with Dana Altman teams historically. So that part has surprised me as somebody who's just sort of was anticipating, Oh, they're going to go 14 and, well, I guess I played 20 conference games, 16 and four, 15 and five this year. And yet you look up and that's almost mathematically, I think, impossible for one of those. They're so, eight and five right now. I think the best they best you could realistically hope for would be like 14 and six. Right. So I, I'm a little surprised with that. And then to your point, I, I do think I'll draw a comparison to another Oregon team that was initially built around a post player. And then that post player was removed and the team really kind of emerged, which was the the Bull Bull year. Mm -hmm. And it was a team where Bull was extremely impactful. I I, I might be 
exaggerating his production, but like in the nine or 10 games he played, it was like 21 points, 12 rebounds, three blocks. He was shooting efficiently. Like none of that was bad, but to your point, when you build a team around a player whose style is sort of antiquated to the modern game, I do think you leave yourself really susceptible to matchups because you're really reliant on one style. And like, let's be real, like bull is different than in folly in a lot of ways. Like bull could stretch the court and do a lot of things, but that, that team really was like, get the ball to bull. He's going to, I don't know what his usage rate was, but it felt like it was really high. And I don't think in folly is quite the same thing, but I, I think the thing that's sort of, I don't want to say frustrating, but puzzling is, is in folly, I think is a really high-end rim runner if they want to want to use him that way he yes well. he, he he he's he's leaps I, i've seen him catch and finish really really well at a high level so i i don't think you're off on that and i would be curious to see like i wish i had advanced analytics to know what the pick and roll numbers were with, so with that that's ball. something that i've that i've brought up recently as well as when, when i was formulating the segment i was just thinking through all the games i've watched and i rarely miss uh a watching an oregon basketball game and i was just like when was the last time there was a pick and roll and a lob was thrown up to Enfali Dante? Like he's had dunks, but mostly because he, you know, dribbles the ball up the court sometimes and throws it down. And it's awesome. And and it's great. Or he just gets a put back, he shoulders a guy out of the way and he throws it down. But when was the last time he set a screen and there was an open lane and there's a backdoor lob and he goes up and throws it down? I I don't know. I don't know the last time I saw that happen. And, I, and to that point, I think Oregon has plenty of guards who are capable of succeeding in that action. Yes. Whether it be Jackson, whether it be Jermaine, whether whether it be – I actually really like Aquendo and Tracy as players. with Aquendo maybe not as much, but Tracy in particular could really initiate that sort of thing. So that, that's something that has been, I guess, puzzling for, for me a little bit is, is some of that. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see as right before we hopped on here, Nate Biddle ruled out for the season. I wonder if that – or most likely ruled out for the season, according to my colleague over at 24-7, Matt Prim, who's, I think, speaking with Dana earlier. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll just be curious to see if that changes anything at all. Maybe it doesn't, because I know Biddle's basically been out this whole time, too. But it, I, 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 they've, they've got to figure out what they want to do in their front line, because I think the team is actually built – like, I can't think of many Oregon teams that have had this many creators on the perimeter. I mean, you know, the, I mean, I mean, the fi- the final four team, of course. You had Brooks, sure. you had Dorsey. Pritchard was a true freshman; he could create a, a little bit as well. But even and that team, D- I mean, Dylan Casey Ennis, was on it. Dylan yeah, Ennis, and, yeah, and Dylan one. Ennis. Like that. That's what I'm saying is, I I think that they did a great job in the off season of attacking their needs. They couldn't. They had a historically bad year shooting the basketball. Mm-hmm. They are now one of the best teams in the Pac-12 shooting threes. Bam Tracy has been fantastic. Shellstad hits threes. Kuznar is very streaky. He is the streakiest shooter of all streaky shooters. You could have a game where he hits seven. He could have a game where he goes one for 10 or he's sure. seven for 11. There's no real there's no real in between with him. Bartholomew, before he went down, he can shoot. Aquendo's improved from three. Rigsby's a knockdown guy. Like That's a lineup of legit shooters. And KJ Evans as a 6'9 guy is shooting like yep. 32%, which is, which is pretty good. For well, he's, down to like 20, he's down to like 28. Is it, over, is it down? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's down a bit. But again... I don't think the looks are consistently there for him to be in that sort of rhythm all the time. And I think without Biddle for the rest of the year, Evans has got to be the guy to step up. I think the five on the court in crunch time has got to be Shellstad, Kuznard, either Rigsby or Tracy, but probably Tracy, Tracy. And, and then Evans and Dante. I think that's your five, but I just want to see it all 
all kind of click. We'll end it there for today. Eric Scopel, 24-7 Sports. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Appreciate it, Eric. Yeah, man, anytime. Well, uh, hopefully I don't whack my head so I can come up with something else. <laughs> yeah, I'll watch out for Screw ladders. It, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a PSA to finish. No ladders. Avoid ladders at yeah, all costs. Yeah, avoid ladders at all costs. You can't, can't have them out there. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. Until then, have a wonderful rest of your day. And as always, go Ducks.